the Daily Mail did a survey of hundreds of children ages 8 through 17, and they asked them a simple question. They said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they expected the answers that they've seen for generations after generations of children, right? That they'd be a nurse, they want to be a doctor, they want to be a teacher, they want to be a fireman, they want to be a policeman. But they were surprised that there was a shift from what's been the traditional jobs that children want to have for years and years and years. And they found that 70% of children surveyed said they wanted to be a famous YouTuber when they grew up or a famous video blogger when they grew up. And I think that our culture has shifted and we've become more obsessed perhaps than ever before with the idea of fame. Neuroscientists studied the pleasure centers in the brains of college students and they found that more pleasure centers lit up from applause than they did from sex, drugs, or alcohol. And it's just something in our culture, in who we are as people now, that we desperately long for fame. We, we long for applause. We long to be in the spotlight, in the limelight. And I think fundamentally, every human being wants to be known and loved. We want someone who fully knows us and fully loves us. And I think sometimes we imagine that we can find this love through applause, through fame, through stardom. And I think sometimes people look in the mirror and they look at who they are and they think, I don't really like myself, but maybe if I had tons and tons of people who liked me, if I had a lot of people who liked me, maybe then I would like myself. I mean, if we're honest, how many times do we turn on social media and we're like, oh, I wonder if I have any likes. I wonder if any random person that I don't even remember what connection I have to them affirmed something that I said or something that I posted. Or maybe we post something and we secretly hope that it has inexplicably, that's a hard word to say, um, gone viral. You know, we're like, oh, maybe I'll put this out there and then it'll just go everywhere and everybody will be talking about me because I posted this. And I think in America, we worship celebrity culture perhaps more than anywhere else on earth. We're obsessed with celebrities. We want to know where they eat. We want to know who they're dating, what they're wearing, how they vote, where they're traveling. We celebrate celebrities in America like gods. We treat them like gods. And in the bottom of our human heart, I think a lot of us want to be gods. So we look at the rich and famous and we think, how much better my life would be if I was rich or famous? Right? We think, man, things would be so much simpler, things would be so much better, they just have a better life than I do. A few weeks ago, I was sitting down with somebody in the community and I was talking to them and they're like, if I just had the money that some of the people on the main line here have, my life would be so good. And I'm like, I'm not sure it would be. See, we forget sometimes that, yes, celebrities have fame and they might have wealth, but we ignore the addictions and the suicides and the public embarrassments and the divorces. We think it's a better life, but actually it's just another life, not necessarily a better life. And the church should be different. The followers of Jesus Christ should be different. If we're pursuing the ways that Jesus lived and loved, then we should be acting differently than the culture. People who are living and loving like Jesus shouldn't be chasing fame. They should be chasing his glory. The church, the followers of Jesus Christ, should be a boat that floats above the sea of culture. But if we're honest, a lot of times the sea of culture begins to slip into the church. Two weeks ago, I was on vacation with my family in Darby. 
um, at the beach in Florida, and my sister and brother and I, we bought some inner tubes, and Darby did uh, as well, but she quickly got stung by jellyfish. Every jellyfish from 100 miles around like swarms her. Um, the rest of us were fine, but they loved Darby. So, but anyways, it ended up being my brother, sister, and I out there, and we're floating on these inner tubes out there, and we're talking and catching up, because I haven't seen them for a long time, and we're not really paying attention, and all of a sudden, this wave just splashes over us, you know? And seawater tastes horrible. Nobody intends to drink seawater, right? But sometimes when it just washes over you, and you had your mouth open explaining something, and you weren't expecting it, you end up swallowing seawater, and it tastes awful. And I think sometimes, even though we don't mean to, we swim in the sea of culture and sometimes we end up swallowing some of it. It's only natural that occasionally, sometimes, we'll swallow some of what culture is selling even without intending to. I remember reading the story about a shipwreck and it talked about the survivors were out on a raft and they said the worst part was not the blistering sun or the heat, but the fact that they were so thirsty and they were surrounded by water and couldn't drink it. And they knew that if they drank the salt water, it would actually dehydrate their brains. It would literally drive them insane. But just the fact that there was water everywhere and they couldn't drink it drove them crazy. And this lady who wrote this account that I was reading, she said, eventually, more and more people on the raft, you'd wake up in the middle of the night and they'd reach out and they'd start guzzling water out of the sea. And then next thing you know, they would be out of their mind crazy. And I think if we drink enough of culture, we can end up with a Christianity that's just crazy. And if you look at some parts of American Christianity, um, there's some parts that seem a little crazy. We have celebrity pastors and celebrity worship musicians, and I enjoy listening to some of those. And we have stages and spotlights and fog machines. I thought it was funny that the week we're talking about fame, the week they put the stage back up in here. You know, that's very uh, amusing. But even those with the best intentions, I think, can be swept up in the applause of being center stage. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to have stages and spotlights and fog machines. And if we grow to the point someday where we have that, awesome. But I think that makes it harder for us to not be swept up in the uh, euphoria of being center stage. And I want to give just a couple examples where I've seen this in Christianity, where we're supposed to be swimming or floating above the sea of culture, but I think where we've sank into it. Uh, I was listening to an interview with a Christian musician, and during that interview, she said, my dream was to be a professional musician. I wanted to be on stage, and I wanted people cheering my name, but she says it's hard to break into the secular music business. So what I did was I went into the Christian music industry because it was easier to break into. Okay, that, that changes how I listen to some of your worship music now that I know that. And uh, a few years ago, I was at a Christian conference of a huge church out in Texas. There are 25,000 people on a Sunday attend this church. And while I was sitting there at the conference, a pastor got up and he said, some people talk about wanting to leave a legacy. He goes, I don't want to do that. I want to live a legacy so I can be there to see what kind of impact I'm having. I'm like, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, you, you, you don't want to leave something for the future because you want to see it now. Um, Terry Newhoff, who created a Christian leadership podcast, he now has over 500 million downloads from his leadership podcast, and he has all these speaking, speaking engagements around the country. And he says, there's one question that young Christian pastors come up to him and ask him everywhere he goes to speak. They say, how do we get famous like you? How do we get a big platform like you? How can we get our name out there? And he's like, that was never my intention. My intention was to try to help people, and the result is that's been multiplied. 
And so I think that if we're honest, even inside our Christian world where we're supposed to be living and loving like Jesus, we're not immune to the allure of fame. The followers of Jesus were not uh, immune to the allure of fame either. While Jesus was traveling around and teaching, he had two of his disciples, two of his followers, in Mark chapter 10 come up to him, James and John, they were brothers, and they said, hey, hey, we're going to ask you something, but just say yes. Have you ever seen when a kid does this? And they come up to you and they're like, you're not going to like what I ask, so just say yes now. Like, I'm going to ask them something you would say no to, so just give me a pre-yes. And that's exactly what the disciples did with Jesus. They said, give us a pre-yes. Say yes to whatever we're about to ask you. And he said, what do you want? And they said, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left when you're glorified. Like, we want to make sure that we have a spot on stage. And Jesus told them in Mark 10, he said, you don't know what you're asking for because my glory will be when I'm crucified, not when I'm enthroned. They imagined Christian fame being throne room. And Jesus says, Christian fame is a cross on a hill. Jesus says the most famous Christian is not those who succeed the most, but those who sacrifice the most. The most famous Christians in God's eyes are not those in outreach magazines list of the hundredth fastest growing churches in America. This is outreach magazine. Uh, it's a Christian publication. Each year they put out picture of the pastor and the churches for the hundred fastest growing biggest churches in America. That's not the most famous Christians in God's eyes. That might be the most famous Christian in our American celebrity eyes, but in God's eyes, the people in Fox's Book of Martyrs are the most famous Christians. And today we're going to look at John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was really the hottest thing in town at his time before Jesus showed up. And then after that, everyone abandoned John. His ministry didn't keep growing. It declined rapidly. He went to prison, and he was executed. That's not a great trajectory if you're looking at your life in terms of how famous you're getting and how much influence you're gathering. His platform was getting smaller, not bigger. He wasn't living a legacy. He didn't take the easiest path to stardom. He suffered instead of succeeding. And yet, this is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He was in prison, and he was soon to die. And in Luke 7, 28, Jesus says, I tell you, of everyone who has ever lived, none is greater than John. And so we would look at John, and we would say, his ministry was at its peak, and then he didn't make the right decisions, or maybe he mismanaged his influence, and then he had all this uh, rejection, and he lost everything, and he ultimately went to prison, and he died. And man, what a wasted life. What a wasted potential. And Jesus says, oh, no lived a great life. He was phenomenal. He was, of everyone who's ever lived, none is greater than John. And so I started thinking about this. What made John so famous in Jesus's eyes when we would look at his ministry and we would say, boy, that's disappointing. You had a great start and then you just stalled out. We would not call John's great life great. He didn't reach any real fame. And just as he started to get somewhere, he lost everything. In John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30, it says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. Now John, this is John the Baptist, was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. And then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. 
And so they came to John and told him, they said, Rabbi, teacher, the one you testified about, Jesus, who was with you across the Jordan is now baptizing and everyone is going to him. People aren't coming to you anymore. They're all going to Jesus. And John responded, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify what I said. I am not the Messiah. I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. John says, my joy comes from seeing Jesus glorified. That's how I rejoice. And then in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. A few weeks ago, I was talking to Steve. Steve's not here this morning, but um, I was talking to him about John the Baptist. And he was like, who is this guy? Help me figure out what's going on here. And uh, I love what, as I explained who John the Baptist was, Steve put it just like only Steve can. He says, so what you're saying is John the Baptist was the hype man for Jesus. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what he was. He was the hype man for Jesus. It was his job to go ahead of Jesus and say, this guy's awesome. Let me tell you about him. You know? And um, I said, Steve, is it okay if I use that on Sunday? He said, yeah, sure. Um, but I just love how he looked at things and what a, that's a good way of thinking about it. But you know, you and I exist for the same reason. We're not the hype men for ourselves. We're the hype men for Jesus. We exist to see Jesus' name lifted high, not our name lifted higher. Our souls will be restless as long as we chase a dream of elevating ourselves instead of elevating our king. And our culture, which I think many times we swallow without even thinking about it, tells us you have to elevate yourself because nobody else is going to. But that's not where meaning and value in life comes from. It comes from elevating See, fame is really all about me. Fame is about, man, I'm cool. I'm important. I need to be center stage. I need to be out there. I need to have my name recognized. Fame is really all about me when I should be all about him. At the end of the day, fame is an obsession with ourselves. It's an obsession with who we are rather than who Jesus is. An obsession with ourselves rather than our Savior. You know, John says something interesting here. He says that no one can receive anything in verse 27 unless it's been given to them from heaven. Every ounce of success you have enjoyed hasn't been because you earned it. It's been because God graciously gave it. Now, you might have worked hard for it, but God allowed you to enjoy it because all glory in the universe belongs to Jesus. And our greatest joy in life will not come from us being glorified but from seeing Jesus glorified. If you want joy in life, it won't come from becoming famous. I think a lot of times we think that, like, man, if I made it big, or if I got this, then I'd be filled with joy. But joy comes from making Jesus' name famous. See, the Bible tells us over and over again that every person was put onto this earth, was created, is exist, in existence to glorify God. We're most in line with who we are and who we were created to be when we spend our time glorifying God. Now, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and a little bit in Aramaic in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. And there's two interesting words here that are used for glory. In the New Testament, the word that's translated glory or glorify is a, a Greek word that means to raise a good opinion. Essentially, our job is to raise people's opinion of Jesus. Say, hey, Jesus, let me make you convince you that he deserves an even better opinion than you already have of him. 
In the Old Testament, the word glorified means of great weight. Because they didn't use currency like we use today. They would measure things, they would measure the value of things in weight. They're like, uh, they didn't ask how many gold coins you had. They like, how many pounds of gold do you have? And essentially what they were saying to glorify in the Old Testament, the word that's used there is to say, God is of an even heavier weight than you can imagine. He's worth even more than you can imagine. See, being fully known and fully loved by God is, being, is better than being widely known and loved by reputation by many. See, I think many times we imagine that if we could have a whole bunch of people cheering for us or shouting our name or who, who know who we are, that would make us feel more valuable. But the most value you can feel and achieve on this earth is to be fully known and fully loved by God who is of great weight, a God who is always worth a higher opinion than we already have of him. We're famous in the eyes of God when the people who know us best respect us most. Our goal should be to be famous in our own home, not famous in a community that doesn't really know us. No matter how much you respect me, if Darby thinks I'm a jerk, that's what really matters because Darby really knows me. You guys know you're like oh i see him on sunday i see him at meals sometimes i hang out with him sometimes darby sees me all the time so if everybody in the world was like man alex is an amazing guy i'm so impressed with alex wow how incredible and darby's like let me tell you the truth alex is a garbage person like darby's opinion would weigh more because she knows me best and what fame is it's a false sense of value because if people who don't really know us who don't really love us, they love the idea of us telling us that we're worth something. It doesn't matter how many stadiums shout your name, it's the people who know you best think you're a jerk. A meaningful life is not about achieving greater and greater accolades. See, I sometimes get caught up into this, this idea that I need to make more than I made the year before. I need to have a bigger ministry than I did the year before. I need to have greater influence than I did the year before. I need more Instagram followers this year than I did last year. Right? We always need to be increasing and getting bigger and bigger and having more. But a meaningful life is not about achieving greater and greater things. A meaningful life is, being, is found in being fully known and fully loved by people who truly know you. Not loosely adored, but hardly known by thousands or even millions of people. Have you ever heard this statement, you don't get to know um, your heroes, don't meet your heroes? Because, right, it's really easy to respect somebody at a distance, as long as we don't get to know them too well, because then we're like, oh, man, I got a vaccine pass to see them, and now I can't even listen to their music because they were such a jerk to me, you know, and they, they treated me so poorly. It's easy to look good, at a distance. It's easy to look incredible on a stage. Um, I don't approve of this behavior, but when I was in college, I had some friends and we were sitting around and the one guy was like, what do you think about this girl? And I was like, oh, she seems like a, a good looking um, young lady. And uh, he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, she's a one mouth. It's like, what's a one mouth? Like, what's that? He goes, oh, she looks really good from a distance. But once you get up close, you're like, oh, no, ugly. And uh, it's horrible behavior out of college guys, so you shouldn't uh, reduce people to that. But I think sometimes we look at people at a one-mile distance and we say, they look really good, because we don't get close enough to see their flaws. And fame naturally keeps people at a distance so they can't see our flaws. 
but we long deeply in our souls for people to be close enough to see our mistakes and see our flaws and still tell us that we are known and loved. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. John here is obsessed with Jesus, not obsessed with himself. It's interesting, he says here, um, he, he makes this comparison to a wedding. And he says, this isn't my wedding. That's essentially what he tells his followers. He's like, why should I be getting all the attention when it's not my wedding day? I've been able to officiate a few weddings and, you know, I never come in as the officiant and I'd be like, hey, hey, stop these pictures. Make sure you take some pictures of me. This is my day. Like the bride would probably punch me, you know? She'd be like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't your day. This is my day. And the grooms a little bit, but only my day. We are not the center of the story that we're in. Jesus is. We get to be side characters in a big story about him. And many times we decide it's better to have a small story about us than be in a big story about him. We want a story that has us at the center and begins at our birth and ends at our death. And Jesus says, I want you to be about a story that started long before there was a universe and will exist long after the universe. John is so obsessed with Jesus, he's not worried when he has a leadership setback. He's not worried when he has a financial setback. He doesn't feel like a failure when his influence wanes. He doesn't doubt his value when his ministry doesn't grow but shrinks. He doesn't worry when his dreams don't come true. He doesn't double up in doubt because he exists for the fame of another. He doesn't exist for the fame of himself. This is not our life. This is not our day. This is Jesus's day. This is Jesus's life. This is Jesus's world. We're just living in it. We can endure incredible personal decrease because we don't exist to increase ourselves. We exist to increase Jesus's fame and worth and the opinion of him in our world. See, my value is not defined in what I can accomplish, achieve, or acquire. I can lose things, I can lose influence, I can lose things that I've worked hard to achieve, and my value doesn't go away because my value is defined by how much I celebrate the name of Jesus, not what I accomplish for myself. In John chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, it says, There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light that through him everyone might believe. This is how the Gospel of John starts out. It says, there was this man named John, and he came to be a witness to testify about the light. The light is Jesus, so that everyone might believe in Jesus. As Steve said, God sent John to be the hype man for Jesus. God has sent you and me to be the hype man for Jesus in this day and in this place. It might say something like this. There came a woman who was sent from God. Her name was Darby. And she came to be a witness to testify about the light. Or there was a man who was sent from God. His name was Alex. He came as a witness to testify about the light. I did not come to be the light, to be the center, to be in the spotlight. I came to testify about the light. The one who is in the spotlight. It should be in the spotlight. You and I exist to make Jesus famous. We exist to make Jesus known. We exist to testify about Jesus. We exist to invite people to experience the love of God as they pursue the way Jesus lived and loved. That's why we exist. Not to make more this year than we did last. Not to have a bigger influence, a bigger ministry. Not to achieve more. 
the greatest joy in life will be pursuing our divine destiny that God sent us into the world to testify about light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that I am not here for me, I'm here for you. And Lord, I pray that you will keep in the forefront of our mind that it's not about how much we can achieve, how much we can obtain, but it's how high we can lift the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. And that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of the universe's existence. And into all time, we're going to be shouting loud the name of Jesus, lifting high and saying, he's a great way. He's a great value. Let me raise your opinion of this great life. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.